it's Meg Nally from Big Brother Season 17, and you are listening to The Recap. DJ Earworm, and you're listening to The Recap. Hi, I'm Heather McDonald, and you're listening to The Recap. It's American Idol winner Nick Fradiani, and you are listening to The Recap. Welcome to The Recap. I'm Erin McClory. And I'm Carly Miller. We have one more episode to talk all things entertainment before we leave for a break. So let's not waste any time, Erin. Let's just spring right into things, starting with The Celebrity Apprentice. Yeah, there's a lot of drama going on right now because the last season just ended and there's talks about the fate of this show and what's going to happen because Arnold Schwarzenegger will not be Bach for just oh one. yeah yeah I see I'm pulling a moose from your book right now Carly are you impressed I I loved that oh my gosh I'm sorry for for ruining your sentence but I was just so taken aback by that little that little pun in there yeah you know when he was on the show last season I did watch and right? he used a lot of his own lines so I felt inspired instead of saying you're fired which he said a couple times he would say you're terminated and then he would say head to the chapa <laughs> Like, how is that not great entertainment? It is. I it's phenomenal it. entertainment. But, but apparently, apparently not. <laughs> no. I guess he's not going to come back. He quit the show last week, and there's some speculation about why or if he really quit or if he got fired or whatnot. So there was a ratings dip this season. There's no secret about that. But Arnold Schwarzenegger is citing Donald Trump's continued involvement behind the scenes as the main factor for him wanting to leave the show because Trump is still an executive producer, and Trump did host the show for its entirety up until last season. Right, which, Erin, it's interesting because in 2014, when NBC cut off, well, or so we thought cut off, as you just said, he's still involved behind the scenes. But when NBC cut off all ties with Donald Trump after some derogatory statements he had been making, what we said two years ago when this was going on was, what's the future for this show? Now, of course, this was before Trump had presidency had had announced his presidency or had become president for that matter but it was interesting because even back then we said where will this show go because you have a staple like Donald Trump from the beginning and you leave him you take him out of that equation it's kind of and I think we said this Aaron two years ago is it like fashion police and Joan Rivers right where does the future lie when a show is so heavily associated with that host so much so that viewers think that the host themselves created the show right. and they forget Definitely. that it was just a random pitch and they kind of just bring the host in to be the face. And I think for this show specifically that hurts because obviously Donald Trump is such a polarizing figure right. that when you have him associated with this show or even people think he created it like you said and he's the face of the show for so many years for seven seasons of The Apprentice, seven seasons of The Celebrity Apprentice, people really think it's his show and so a lot of people I really think tuned out because of that this season and I don't think that it's Arnold Schwarzenegger that you need to blame for for saying, well, he's the new host. It's his fault that the ratings dip. No. A lot of people who I talked to said they weren't watching this season because of Donald Trump and they didn't want to support something that Donald Trump was still a part of. Which is so interesting because, again, my mind goes back to two summers ago when NBC had announced they were cutting off all ties. And I remember it was interesting because Donald Trump had been starring and guest hosting on Saturday Night Live. And we were like, NBC, if you're cutting all ties, you need to cut all ties. It can't just be with one show. But it turns out that he they didn't because Trump is still making money, uh, you know, executive producing. I mean, technically, he's calling the shots at the end of the day. You're an executive producer. I mean, you are as as far up on the show that you can get. Yeah, he is. And I mean, you mentioned that he is still making money off of it. He said on Good Morning Britain a while ago about Schwarzenegger, quote, he works for me. He's a small timer. I mean, he's doing a nice job, but don't forget, he works for me. I make money from The Apprentice. When we first chose him for the show, he was so low on the economic scale, he didn't really fit the role. I think he's made more money by being on The Apprentice than he has in business. 
Oh my, it's despicable. It is. And, and what's most despicable is that this show is about making money for charity. And you're bragging about how you make money off the show and saying that this host doesn't make enough money to be the host of a show that, that is, is about charity. I was about to say that. That, is, that should be philanthropic. That's the whole point of this charity. I mean, in the finale, yes, I watched last season. And in the finale, Boy George made nearly half a million dollars for his charity. And the winner of Celebrity Apprentice made more than half a million dollars for his charity. I mean, Erin, it, it, it's it's so crazy to me. I, I can't really wrap my head around the the situation in its entirety. I mean, let's face it. Are we shocked that the show is a flop? Not really. I think that we called this from the beginning. It didn't matter who stepped in for Donald Trump. It didn't. It didn't matter. I mean, there's so much controversy surrounding Donald Trump, whether it was his exit or rather his involvement that's still on the show. It sparks controversy no matter which way you look at it. But Trump can't seem to let this go. I mean, he's been very active on Twitter within the past week in regards to why it was a flop, why he was the best thing that ever could happen to the show and things like that. Let it go. Definitely. I mean, he did. He took to Twitter. He said Arnold Schwarzenegger isn't voluntarily leaving The Apprentice. He was fired by his bad, pathetic ratings, not by me. Sad end to a great show. No, it's just wrong. And Schwarzenegger replied, you should think about hiring a new joke writer and a fact checker. So, I mean, they're definitely getting into a war of words here. I don't know. Fake it's, news, man. It's it's it, everywhere. It's a little annoying. I mean, some people are also blaming the ability for the show to get good celebrities on. I mean, they used to have people like Joan Rivers, who you just mentioned. They used to have mm. Sharon Osbourne. And now, I mean, they had Matt Eisman, and whose name escaped me just a little while ago when I said the winner had raised a little over half a million dollars for his charity because he really isn't super well-known when he came on the show. But that's one thing that I loved about it was that by the end, now I love Matt Eisman, and he hosts American Ninja Warrior on NBC. So it's great promotion for NBC. <laughs> yeah. But he just, he had this captivating personality on the show. And it was one of those moments where you're like, I'm going to tune in for the Boy Georges. I'm going to tune in for the Lisa Leslie's, the people I know on this season. But by the end, you, you love fall. all these celebrities. You yeah. know, I, I just, I don't think that the level of celebrities that they're getting is really what's hurting the show as much as some other aspects of it. And it's interesting because I guess to that, we'll never really know what went went what went wrong excuse me but I think that it's just interesting for Donald Trump to be commenting on regards to you know him leaving Schwarzenegger that is him leaving versus him getting fired I feel like oftentimes with television with anything in life with these contracts a lot goes unnoticed by us as viewers by us as entertainment you know the people who who tune into these shows that we never know the controversy behind the scenes you never know who doesn't get along with who what argument this person had with this person that stuff is kept fairly private and usually networks and the talent have have a mutual respect for each other so for an exec to be exposing the talent for really no reason when quite frankly Arnold Schwarzenegger never really spoke ill of the opportunity is something that just doesn't sit well with me necessarily yeah and I let mean, it go right I, yeah I really I have no qualms with Arnold Schwarzenegger being the host of this show and I think he really did a great job he had brought personality to it he really I don't know. He took over the role in as much of a way as you can when it would be like having someone other than Ryan Seacrest host American Idol. You would be harder on them than you Absolutely. would be if it was Carson Daly hosting The Voice when it first premiered because it's a new show with a new host and now you just associate shows with hosts after, you know, a certain amount of time Undoubtedly. that it's so hard and you know, that's why The Voice, there's so many judges that they go through and coaches that you don't really associate the coaches necessarily with the show as much because they're right. cycling through. And I think that they did that earlier, early enough on to make it work. But then you see shows like this, they don't do it early enough. And I Absolutely. do think that it sinks the show. So my question for you is, we talked about how NBC said they were going to cut all ties with Donald Trump. 
What do you think happened to that? And do you think that if they had stuck by their word on that, this show would have a different fate? I mean, I don't know what happened to that. That 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 brings me back to again two summers ago, 2014, when they announced that Donald Trump would no longer be the face of The Apprentice, and then that they would be cutting all ties with him in terms of business aspect. And then a month later, they had him as a reoccurring guest on Saturday Night Saturday Night Live. I feel as though I questioned that from the very beginning. At the end of the day, I think they're making money off of Donald Trump and the content in which he's putting out and that he's associated with. So maybe that's why they didn't cut ties at the end of the day. Again, that's why they're they're putting on these shows and that's how these shows stay in production is through money. In terms of if you know, if they stuck by their word and him not being associated with the show at all, I think like we said it was kind of doomed from the beginning and it wasn't because whether Donald Trump became president or whether Donald Trump was a controversial figure or not either way Donald Trump was the face of this show and you remove that face and it doesn't matter if Ryan Seacrest had the biggest scandal in all of entertainment at that time he was the face of American Idol so whether or not he was loved or hated by all you remove Ryan Seacrest from American Idol and whoever comes in that show is probably going to flop it's yeah. so hard so so with that being said it doesn't matter who Donald Trump is as an individual when you look at his history with the show and you remove him as that figure of the face of the show doesn't matter who Donald Trump was he was the face and you remove that face and I think it's bound to flop no that's so well said I agree with you I mean Schwarzenegger did say that it left a bad taste in people's mouths when they knew that Donald Trump was still involved with it and people didn't want to participate both as a specter and a sponsor to support the show because it's such a divisive period and you know, the show did get caught up in all that. And I do think that's fair of him to say. Absolutely. But at the same time, it took me a few episodes, honestly, to realize that Donald Trump was still an executive producer. When I saw the credit pop up, I mean, three or four episodes in, I was like, whoa, didn't even realize that he was still an EP of this show. Rightfully so. so. You know, I can separate my politics and my TV viewing easily, <laughs> but I don't think that it had to do with the fact that he's still an EP, but just the fact that people associate him with the show. So I agree anyway, with you on Take that. it with what you will, but exactly. it doesn't matter. Aaron, let's move on from one NBC show to another, but this time we're talking the biggest loser. Yeah, we have to talk about it because Bob Harper, who's a personal trainer and host of The Biggest Loser, suffered a heart attack last month and... Now he's speaking out about how he can live a healthier life and how he's recovering. So he's saying that rather than going to the gym, he's sticking to casual rock walks around New York City with his dog. He's following a Mediterranean diet. He's attending regular doctor's visits, and he has to wear heart monitors to track all of his progress because now he is more determined than ever to live a healthy life to the fullest. So his heart attack happened last month while he was working out at a gym in New York City, and he suddenly collapsed. But Thank goodness a doctor happened to be at the gym and performed CPR and used paddles to keep him alive. Wow. And he did not wake up until two days later in the hospital. Terrifying. But now he is doing a lot better. He is recovering. I mean, he's such a healthy guy. So people are asking, how does this happen? And a lot of it really is the genetics. So his mother did pass away from a heart attack. So it's not helping him that his genetics are working against him in that sense. But it's definitely raising a lot of questions with people like, you know, he's such a healthy guy. I was How just does thinking this happen? That. And I think it just goes to show that that with issues of health, you can never be, you know, too conscious. It's not eat a healthy, have a healthy lifestyle, eat, eat well, eat clean, work out, and you'll be forever immune to any disease. And it's so unfortunate. But, you know, you don't have to be over 300 pounds to be subjected to a heart attack. And, and, and it's, it's unfortunate that, you know, of course, no one's immune to any disease. But I think that that just speaks volumes. It, again, it's super unfortunate. You wouldn't wish that that 
hard on anybody. But at the end of the day, yeah, I mean, it goes to show that you can never be too aware of your body, of your genetics, you know, of everything, because you could eat as as clean as you want. You could be on, you know, the most successful weight loss and, and lifestyle show that there's ever been. Yeah. And at the end of the day, that doesn't matter. I mean, heck, it happened while he was working out. Definitely. So it's just, it's interesting that it's so necessary for him to be speaking out about this. It is. And I think that's really awesome of him to speak out about it because a lot of people really don't understand that. And there's definitely some other drama that has happened with the show. People are speaking out about that. We talk about him speaking out, but uh, former contestants are as well, right? Yeah. Former contestants in the past have spoken out. They continue to. So Let's just take a rewind to some of those moments and some of the most controversial moments that have happened with The Biggest Loser. So from season three, Kai Hibbert had made comments to the New York Post. She said, quote, that whole effing show is a fat shaming disaster that I'm embarrassed to have participated in. You just think you're so lucky to be there that you don't want to don't want that you don't think to question or complain about anything. And she did make allegations of physical and mental abuse while being on the show interesting it is it's very interesting and then there was more drama when Rachel Fredrickson who was the season 15 finale winner lost 155 pounds on the show but she dropped from 260 pounds to just 105 pounds so fans immediately went off on Twitter saying that the weight loss was way too dramatic and it sent a bad message isn't it a competition though this is the basis of the show it's yes she 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 dropped 155 pounds there's no denying that but right that's why I, they go on the show. To, I, yeah, to, it is. But to lose the utmost amount, I don't know. Yeah, but do you think it goes who's too counseling far? them? Is what you're I mean, saying? Yeah, I mean, when you go down to 105 pounds, I mean, I don't know how tall she is, and I don't know, you know, if 105 pounds is healthy for her. But from looking at the pictures and from what fans said, they didn't think that was healthy. And so, yes, the show is about who can lose the most weight, but you're it's right. also like who can be how, the healthiest, you know? Absolutely. And that's something that the show kind of ignores, I think. So Jillian Michaels has left a couple times, but she left for good after that dramatic weight loss had happened on season 15 because she thought it hurt the brand and she didn't really want her name attached to that it's just it it keeps happening i mean in 2008 they finally had the first female winner her name was Allie vincent but in 2016 she had regained nearly all of the weight that she lost on the show and she had spoken out about it saying that she felt ashamed and embarrassed and overwhelmed and like a failure so it's just the the cycle that they put these people through. It's it, it's crazy. It it's it is it's it's very interesting. I don't know. I mean, season they're they're going into season eighteen. It yeah. hasn't been renewed yet. Am right. I right in, in saying that? But the, the show's been around for a while, and I almost feel as though as you're reading this, Erin, these this doesn't really these questions and this controversy surrounding the show doesn't really get posed all that often. But no. I feel as though it's 2017 and people are beginning to become more in sync with body image and you know the the reality of how that's portrayed in the media. It's interesting. I mean, even my naive self said that you know the the whole show is a competition. So for her to lose a hundred and or one hundred and fifty five pounds, rather, you know, technically she she won, which you could argue that that's why she's there. I don't. It's yeah. it's so interesting. It's such a a, a seesaw. I don't know. It's it's such a gentle subject. Yeah. I where guess. do you draw the line? And I did some research on it last year when I was writing a research paper about the effects of reality TV and more specifically the effects of weight loss shows that have on people. And there was a study by Kevin Hall, who's a scientist at a federal research center, who studied the contestants from season eight and. 
they followed all of the contestants after the show to see what happened after it was all over. So at the beginning of the show, the contestants' metabolisms were normal, but by the end, they had slowed and their bodies weren't burning enough calories to maintain their new weight, which isn't really surprising because anytime someone loses weight, your metabolism changes. But what was shocking to them was that the more the weight came back, the metabolism stayed the same. They didn't recover. But in fact, I, I misspoke. They didn't even stay the same. They slowed even more. So these people's metabolism, as they're gaining the weight back, is slowing even more, which is hurting them even further, and they're gaining back even more weight than they started with. So the winner of season eight, Danny Kale, has to eat 880 calories fewer per day than the same man his size of 295 pounds Wow! if he just wants to even maintain that weight. And, and is then, that because of the draft? I know when, uh, yeah, because this is in such a short amount of time. It's, it's so heightened. You know, it's such a dramatic, you have X number of weeks to lose a hundred and something pounds. That's insane. I mean, it's so quick. Another thing they looked at was leptin, which is a cluster of hormones that control your hunger. So when they started, it was at a normal level. And when it ended, they had nearly no leptin left at all, which meant that they would be hungry all the time. So as they gained the weight back, their leptin levels never rose to what it was before. It only rose to about half as much. So they were still hungrier than they normally would be, making them want to eat even more. And they're constantly hungry. So it's just there's so much working against these people that, you know, you don't know that when you're watching the show. You see these people lose 150 pounds and you commend them for that and that's great. Absolutely. And then they go off the show and they gain it all back and you look at them and you're like, how did they do that? They, you know, they had it all going for them. They did such a great job and you judge them for that because you don't know the science behind it. Absolutely. Because shows like The Biggest Loser don't care about the science. They care about the entertainment They factor. do. And I respect that in some aspects and I don't in others. I respect it from a television student aspect in that, you know, you need your reality show to be the extreme. Right. Like, you, you can't just have face. people... You need to be pushing yeah. them. You, know. you can't have people losing 20 pounds on a reality show. Who cares? No one's going to watch. Tons of people lose 20 pounds every year. Right. It's not entertaining. So I get that. But at the same time, you're putting people's health at risk and their lives at risk when you're pushing them this far. And afterward, they can't maintain that because of science. It's so true. It's so interesting. And what what's even more interesting is they would be up for season 18. This is a show that you would think really has no end in sight. I mean, you make it past season 10 even, and that's unheard of nowadays in television. It, it has been immensely successful from a TV aspect. So where what, what does the future hold, you know, as body image and, and, and body health and self-love is, is only on the rise? What What's the future for the show? And it, it's interesting because we don't know. No, we don't. We have no idea what's going to happen with the show, but I guess we'll have to find out. But you mentioned, you know, body image and weight loss. It's really everywhere. And Emma Watson is someone who is speaking out about her body and her body image as she's defending her Vanity Fair photo shoot. That's right, Erin. So the 26-year-old recently posed for Vanity Fair, and there was a spread on the inside of the magazine. And so she's wearing a, the, the photo The photo that's in question is she's wearing a cropped crochet jacket without anything underneath. Now, this photo shoot spread was was po, po, sorry was published rather inside of the magazine's March 2017 issue. Issue. So she sits down with Reuters this past week and Emma Watson, who's the Beauty and the Beast star, and she's a gender equality activist. We know that. And she hit back at critics who believe that the photo undermines her feminist ideals. She says, quote, it just always reveals to me how many misconceptions and what a misunderstanding there is about what feminism is. 
And so the 26-year-olds who launched the He for She campaign dedicated to enlisting men in the fight for women's rights continued on to state, feminism is about giving women choice. Feminism is not a stick with which to beat other women with. It's about freedom. It's about liberation. It's about equality. I really don't know what my breasts have to do with it. It's very confusing. It's well said. What? How? How does feminism? How is she a, a poor example of a feminism? I mean, if anything, doesn't this go to show that she means she's comfortable in her own skin? Which to me is what uh, what about being a woman in 2017 means to love yourself, to love your body, and to to be comfortable with it. I also, think it's are, empowering. Are we forgetting she's wearing a top with okay, she has nothing underneath it? But I mean, come on, she's not. She's not. Bare, bare naked on the cover and oh by the way if she was what what does that have to do with this phenomenal campaign she has started doesn't that speak volumes for what the quote-unquote feminist that she is there's such a misconception like she herself said about what it means to be a feminist and now here people are criticizing her decisions about her body when her actions which are starting this campaign mean nothing to them how like that that is the opposite of exactly what a feminist should be thinking. Like she is in the feminist mindset and everyone criticizing her is the complete opposite of that. They're right. criticizing the way she uses her body. Like that's what the feminist movement is against. Am I wrong? I think it's about using your body as a form of expression and, and you know, loving yourself. And, and however not being... you choose. Exactly. I mean, having control of what it is you choose to do. I mean, let's face it. If Emma Watson didn't want that photograph to be taken, if Emma Watson didn't feel comfortable in whatever clothes she was wearing, she would have never allowed that to transpire. She's not in no. it for the money. She's posing for Vanity Fair. She's not posing for Playboy. And heck, even if she was, how does that contradict or counteract anything that she's done, you know, for feminists everywhere, for for society as a whole? I totally agree. She's bringing about awareness. And you know what? Shame on those. Shame on those critics who are critiquing how she went about this, because if anything, they're just shedding more light on who she is as a feminist. They're drawing more attention to her beliefs and what she believes in. To me, I don't feel as though this photograph is hypocritical in any way, shape, or form to anything she's done. I agree. And I mean, how appropriate that we're recording this episode and talking about this topic on International Women's Day. And just she's someone who brings light constantly to women and female empowerment and inequality for women. And I just don't know how you criticize someone who does something like that. I mean, Erin, she's the UN Women Goodwill Ambassador. I think she has done so much good, you know, for, for our society, for women, for not just women. I mean, he for she. It's about getting men involved in this what seems to be stigma against what a feminism, what a feminist it is and what feminism means you know it's not women who do, who have to burn their bras it's not women you know you know what i mean yeah, there's, for there's sure. such an extremist mindset you know in regards to how we perceive feminism and it's and it's very derogatory in a sense and so with that being said i feel as though this further empowers her as an individual as a woman who who believes that we should be you know rising people up and not tearing them down yeah. I, I understand that there's always been controversy surrounding, say, Taylor Swift and her squad and she can she can, you know, post a music video with her bad blood and her whole squad and how that could be perceived as bullying and not, you know, women's rights or being, you know, a feminist. How can you be for women but then write about tearing another woman down? Okay, so be it. Posting an image of yourself through Vanity Fair and a professional photo shoot and being accused that that goes against all the progress you've made over the past five years. What? And I just can't help but think that if this was someone else, 
it might not be getting the same criticism. I mean, think about if it was Lady Gaga, if it was Kim Kardashian, if it was Beyonce. Do you think that that kind of criticism no, would come about? I don't think so. I don't either. And you know what? Maybe maybe good for Emma Watson. Maybe she's made so much progress in, you know, her humanitarian efforts that people feel as though they need to hold her up to some higher extent. But at the same time, shame on them for not being able to recognize that loving yourself and, and posing, whether it's completely nude, whether some of your breasts are exposed, whether you're fully clothed. I mean, you don't have to be dressed head to toe to to respect yourself. And that kind of goes back. And, and I know this is me really taking this I don't even think out of context necessarily, but this is the same mentality of what women wear reflects if they were ever sexually assaulted. To me, yeah. for for you to critique Emma Watson for, for posing with her breasts somewhat exposed in a Vanity Fair shoot is the same mentality of people who say, well, she was wearing a really short skirt out, so no wonder why she was taken advantage of sexually. We have to get out of this mentality because it's so toxic for our society. I completely agree with you. So I just think that it's interesting. But you know what? I think what Emma Watson said, she handles it like she handles nearly every other situation in the spotlight. And that is with such class and dignity and self-respect. And I don't think that one image that was so tastefully done can ever take all of that progress away from her. I don't think so either. I think she's a great role model for kids, for young girls, for young boys. It doesn't matter who you are looking up to Emma Watson. I mean, she has so much talent and she has so much compassion for humans that... I just I think she's commendable for that. Absolutely. Now, Erin, we talk about role models. We have to move on. We got to talk boy bands because although it's it's a very big jump from Emma Watson, there's no denying that the Backstreet Boys were absolutely a lot of people's role models at some point in their young, young life. Definitely. But now, would they have been role models if they were around today? That is the question a lot of people are asking now because they said that Justin Bieber does not hold a candle to what the Backstreet Boys did in their heyday. That is what Nick Carter has come out and said. Interesting. The, I mean, when I first heard that, I, was, I thought about it and I was like, it makes sense because NSYNC, Backstreet Boys, whatever, you know, all these boy bands that were back in the day, they didn't have this type of spotlight on them yes it was a lot of spotlight yes it was a lot of pressure but there wasn't social media there wasn't all of that pressure as far as every single move they're making is getting tracked by fans by paparazzi by the media by everyone and everything and getting so heavily criticized from that would that have broken them I mean there's just so many questions about the time differences absolutely it's interesting so AJ McLean you know a singer a member of the pop music group said We would have been like TMZ's saving grace, bro. Just anything from me being drunk or irate at a club or me walking naked down the hallway in a hotel for no apparent reason. Just random stuff that never really got out. Now, Erin, I have to admit, and I'm not going to lie, that upon first reading this article that was published and listening to what these boys had to say, I was a little bit like, okay, you're like a frat boy who is stuck or, you're, you know, you're like a college, you're like a, a 25-year-old who's stuck in high school or like a 40-year-old who's like, you know, still like in his frat boy ways. Yeah. It's kind of like, let it be. It's been 20 years. Like, let's move on. Don't, you got irate at a club. Okay, you walk down naked. Like, 
who cares? It never got exposed. Why are you trying to expose yourself now? But I think that this concept goes so much deeper and it's something that you mentioned, you know, uh, just a few moments ago. And that is just the, the shift in what it means to be famous now. And McLean continued about that. He wasn't just talking about his drunken stories, but he continued to state, but the fame now, it's like night and day. The other side of that, which was different for us, without social media, without YouTube, without instant access, we had to do everything grassroots. We had to do every interview, every radio show, every outlet. We had to go to every country. That was the only way to do it. There was no Instagram or posting things on YouTube to get a record deal. And I think that that's so vital. I think that that, you know, further justifies their argument. It's not just about OTMZ and social media and being able to, like, be see someone drunk on Snapchat and take a screenshot or see two people talking at a club and it's Orlando Bloom and Selena Gomez and then before you know it, Katy Perry and him are going on a break. It's so much more than that. It's actually the concept of becoming famous and what does that mean? Not only once you are famous, but actually the growth of becoming a worldwide phenomenon. I think it's interesting because there's an advantage and a disadvantage to this age and there's an advantage and a disadvantage to what you know the age was when the Backstreet Boys were around. Absolutely. And the the advantage now is that you do have YouTube. You do have Fine. That's how Shawn Mendes got started. You know, Justin Bieber, Justin Bieber on YouTube. Like, that's how they got started. And it, I do think that it's easier to get yourself out there. On the other side, once you're out there, I think it's harder ma- to maintain for a couple reasons. One, there's Absolutely. so many people. You could be replaced in an instant. You can be irrelevant tomorrow. It's so easy to fall off. The other being, what we mentioned before, is you're so criticized in this world and your every move is tracked. And back when the Backstreet Boys were around, they didn't have that. So yes, it was harder for them, I think, to initially get started and to get all of the traction they did and to become as famous as they did. But I think once they hit that, they did have have it easier. Absolutely. I don't think there's any denying that, Erin. That's a great point. There's so much clutter that comes with our digital age. And I know oftentimes it's toxic and we're too immersed in this digital world. But to counter that, you're right. I mean, is it easier to become Instagram Instagram famous and to make money off of just posting things to social media? Undoubtedly. But now we're in 2017 and to get to that rise to fame and to actually maintain that spot. And I'm not just talking about social media necessarily, but how to use this platform to market yourself and remain relevant. I mean, you see people, and I hate to, to, to pick her out, but it's what comes to my mind first, Megan Trainer, She blew up, but where has she been? We're forgetting about her. And then you have people like Tori Kelly, you know, people getting famous off of Vine and things like that, which is since, of course, you know, that's one app that didn't didn't yeah. even make it <laughs> right. in today's day and age. But what I'm saying is that we are at an age where we can't listen to the same track over and over and over again. I mean, of course, sometimes you'll have that one song that you'll go to or you'll replay, but we need to be simulated constantly by entertainment. And I think that that is a struggle. I mean, Heck, someone's Snapchat story is over 30 seconds now and you're like clicking through it because it seems like you're sitting down and you're watching a 45-minute show. We need to be stimulated at all times by entertainment. So I, I agree with you completely. It's a double-edged sword in a sense. Yeah, and I think, I mean, Carter was saying how Backstreet Boys, you know, they've maintained their success decades after other groups have fizzled out. I agree with him in a sense. I mean, they have their Vegas residency. They're still such a name and everyone is like, wow, the Backstreet Boys, they were one of the original boy bands and whatnot. But at the same time, uh, you're not super, super relevant and you weren't relevant that entire time. I mean, you weren't a band that lasted 
forever. I mean, you're not ACDC. You're not, you know. You're not Nirvana. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think it's just interesting because I think that my mentality really shifted throughout reading of this news. Again, I say, I thought it was like the boys who are stuck in, you know, the 90s and it suddenly came to know they're they're transitioned in 2017 and they're acknowledging this transition that the entire industry has gone through. And you can argue that that is really why the music industry is in the situation where where they're in right now where they're not really thriving because you can become famous off of SoundCloud, you know, off of Spotify. And it's just so interesting to see how it's transitioned. Upon hearing about it, I thought Justin Bieber is feeling one of two ways hearing this news. He's thinking, one, no, I can do some crazy stuff and you guys can't hold a candle to what I've done. Or two, thank goodness someone is saying that other people have done what I've done. One of two it's ways. There's two. no in between. It's it's very no. black and white here. It's so interesting. And we talk about social media. And so I think that we have to shed light upon Saturday Night Live star Pete Davidson, who has returned to social media as of lately with an update on his personal life. Now, the Saturday Night Live star, I said again, returned to Instagram this past Monday to announce that he is happy and sober for the first time since 2009. His caption on a picture of himself drinking coffee said, just wanted to let you guys know I'm okay. I know I've kind of been missing on social media and on the show. I quit drugs and I'm and I'm happy and sober for the first time in eight years. And he went on to say, it wasn't easy, but I got a great girl, great friends, and I consider myself a lucky man. I'll always be here for you guys, I promise. Remember to never give up hope because because sometimes that's all we got. We are a family and I appreciate all your love and support. It's nice to be back in action. Wow. Wow is right. I mean, he joined the cast of the NBC sketch series SNL back in 2014 to become the youngest member of the current SNL cast, which on its own is a crazy accomplishment, but he's an even bigger accomplishment to say that he's happy and sober and quit drugs. That in itself is enough of an accomplishment. And to be able to share it, too, and to you know say, hey, fans, look, I'm doing great. Look at how far I've come. I love that. I just love I couldn't that. agree more. And you know what? Pete has spoken out before about his struggles with his own health. And he most recently credited Kid Cudi with saving him from committing suicide. Wow. Aaron. I mean, the depth of that oh. statement, he said, quote, I would have killed myself in back in this is October 27, 2016, rather, when the radio interview took place. When asked about Cuddy checking himself into rehab, he added, it's kind of comforting to know your hero goes through the same stuff you do. Wow. And it, to that I say, how many lives is he saving? Exactly. That's I was, what I was just thinking. I was reading through, you know, his, his post to Instagram upon his return. And like I said, it's a picture of himself smiling and holding a cup of coffee. And I can't tell you how many people were commenting on it because it was it's he's talking about marijuana is is I think the the drug that he is kind of speaking to most. They think that he um, he was diagnosed with Crohn's disease at 18, wow. and so uh, he 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 was you know smoking medical marijuana because he was prescribed it, and he said that his stomach would be in pain all day and he wouldn't be able to eat, but. When he smoked, he'd be able to eat and do his shows. And so he he physically wasn't able to do Saturday Night Live if he didn't smoke weed. And he couldn't do anything. He couldn't function. And so it, it's it's so interesting because this was an illness that he was battling Crohn's disease here. But then you, you, you encounter or rather you include drugs into the mix and it kind of spirals out of control. But I think that, you know, he speaks of Kid Cudi, who quite literally so, saved his life. So how many people will turn over a new leaf upon him speaking out? 
And that's why it's so important for every celebrity or anybody who has any type of platform, even friends, to share with each other what they're going through because you really have no idea what someone is going through, whether it's a friend or whether it's a celebrity. Right. To just have that kind of conversation and be open about it is so powerful. And for someone like him who's so young still, so to young. be able to realize that and know that he can help other people by speaking out about it speaks volumes to the kind of person he is. And obviously he's such a talented comedian that I just think that his career could take off even further from here and I oh I couldn't agree it makes I think it's also going to create more fans from him because I mean I'm not super familiar with the cast of SNL unless you know it's someone who like Tina Fey Amy Poehler who comes off the show and is insanely famous after that but someone like him who I knew from the Justin Bieber roast and whatnot but he could just gain so many fans by just being himself. And I think that's people want to relate to actors and actresses, but especially people like comedians who a lot of times are themselves in their art. And so for him to be open about who he is and himself, it's awesome. I couldn't agree more. I think that the future looks so extremely bright for him. And I'm excited. I mean, like you said, he is young, 23 years old. There's no telling where he'll go. And I think that the fact that he's become such a well-known name so early in both, you know, his life as well as his, you know, career I think that, you know, he'll he'll do great things beyond SNL in a very short amount of time, which oftentimes we don't necessarily see. These comedians, Leslie Jones, they're launching their careers very late, all the power to them. And then it's it's almost short-lived in a sense on SNL. I think that he's going to take full control of not only his life, but his career. And I'm really excited to see where it'll go. Definitely. I mean, we talk about what's kind of behind the scenes, what viewers don't get to see, Celebrity Apprentice, whether it's The Biggest Loser or even The Backstreet Boys and a comedian (laughs) not knowing what's going on with them. Such interesting conversation we had today. But we have to thank our producer, Kate Douglas. And of course, you guys for listening. We'll be back in two weeks after we return from spring break. But we're, we're excited to talk all things entertainment immediately upon returning back to Ithaca. So thank you guys. And we'll see you in two weeks. The recap, presented by ICTV, will return next week. In the meantime, follow us on Twitter at the underscore recap and like us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash the recap podcast. 